This month, we are celebrating our 45th church anniversary. We have been going back in time, posting throwback photos on Facebook and Instagram, sharing, did you know, facts from our church history, reminiscing about past anniversaries, and remembering those we've lost. We also have a lot of great speakers lined up from the DMV to share God's word with us each Sunday. All of you are welcome to join us. Since we are celebrating the founding of our church, we thought it would be educational to learn more about the foundation of the early church. During this podcast, we too will go back in time. We're going back in time to experience the world of the first century church. What was it like living under Roman rule? What kind of societal or cultural challenges did they face? How did they endure persecution? I, for one, have a lot of respect for these sisters and brothers who endured so much so that we could be here today. Are you ready? Okay, let's get started. This is the Community Church of Christ Bible Study Podcast. I am your host and teacher, Connie Thornton Brown. At the time of Jesus in the first century AD, the Roman Empire controlled the whole of Mediterranean Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East. If you're like me, I was never very good at geography. To give you a bigger picture, Rome, Italy, control the following modern-day countries. England, Wales, France, Spain, Portugal, Belgium, Switzerland, Austria, Hungary, Romania, Turkey, Greece, Albania, Yugoslavia, Israel, Lebanon, Tunisia, and parts of Germany, the Soviet Union, Morocco, Algeria, Syria, and Egypt. It is estimated to have been at least 54 million people living in the Roman Empire during the time of Christ, if not more. And I bet you're wondering like I was, how in the world, how in the entire world did Rome keep all of these countries who were both ethnically and religiously diverse together? Well, one of the things we're talking about today is political loyalty. One man ruled the empire, the emperor, whose government was based in Rome in central Italy, from which the empire had grown. The city of Rome was founded in the 8th century BC in the year 753 BC, according to tradition. This was around the same time the Old Testament prophets Isaiah and Hosea lived. So I'm going to give you a quick history lesson here. Julius Caesar was assassinated, stabbed in the back by a group of senators led by two of his most trusted associates, A2 Brute 
Remember Brutus and Cassius? They killed him because they no longer wanted a monarchy, but a true democratic republic. Did you know, I'm doing my own did you know, did you know that the U.S. is technically not a true democracy? We are more of a constitutional federal republic. The crucial difference is that a republic relies on representation like we do with elected officials. While in a pure democracy, the people represent themselves. Anyway, back to Julius Caesar. As a result of his murder, civil war broke out within the empire. Julius Caesar's nephew and adopted son, Octavius Caesar, avenged his uncle's death by defeating Brutus, Cassius, and all his other rivals. In victory, Octavius Caesar assumed supreme power over the Roman world in 31 BC. And in 27 BC, the Senate gave him the title Augustus, which means the exalted one. His reign lasted from 31 BC until 14 AD, 45 years. Do you remember that name, Augustus Caesar? Augustus was the emperor at the time of Jesus' birth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it mentions him. And it happened in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was Augustus who ordered the census which took Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Did you know that our month of August was named after Augustus Caesar? Another way of the Roman Empire keeping all of these diverse people together was to have a state religion. Here's the good news. The good news is that the social and political setting in which Christianity was born was a world in which religion flourished. At the time of Jesus and the apostles, there were four main forms of religion in the empire. So I'm going to talk about the traditional pagan religion. This is the state-funded religion. This involved the worship of a family of gods headed by the chief god, whose name was Zeus. There was a different god for different aspects of life. Poseidon was the god of the sea. Ares was the god of war. And Aphrodite, for example, was the goddess of love. Although the eastern part of the empire primarily spoke Greek, the western part still spoke Latin, and Greek was their second language. So the Roman Empire was so humongous. They had an east coast and a west coast. Well, not really. It was an east, eastern empire and a western empire. Now, why is this important to us? Well, the western part of the empire had their own Latin names for the same gods. For example, Jupiter was the name for Zeus. 
Venus was the name of Aphrodite and Mars was the name, the Latin name they use for Aries. So maybe some light bulbs are going off in your heads. Yes, yes, yes. Our planets, Jupiter, Venus, and Mars were named after Greco-Roman gods. So how was it like back then when it came to pagan worship? What, what did it look like? Well, people tried to obtain the blessings of the gods in all the affairs of life, just like we do now. You know, when it comes to, in their case, agriculture, business, politics, marriage, and war, um, they sought the gods. Pagan worship involved animal sacrifices, prayer, and various ways of trying to find out the will of the gods. Have you ever heard of divination and dreams and prophecy? They sought those things after the gods or of the gods. The traditional pagan religion, like I said, was this family of gods. What's interesting about that is it's, again, funded and upheld by the state and regarded as essential to its survival and prosperity. So what that meant is that if you were the head of a family and or an elected official, an, an elected city official, you were expected to carry out whatever ceremonies or duties associated with the worship of these traditional gods. And on top of that, get this, the emperor was the high priest or the Pontifex Maximus, I hope I'm saying that correctly, of the traditional paganism. So that's traditional paganism. Uh, for one quick second, I want to jump into emperor worship. Not everyone worship the emperor, but I want to give you some ideas or, you know, some information on how that worked. Okay, so because Rome had been so successful, Romans believed that there was a special divine power at work creating the empire, and that the power was especially connected to the emperor. Makes sense. Hella, the Hellenistic culture or the Greek culture already saw kings as divine figures or gods incarnate. When the idea of Hellenism or, or Greek, the, the Greek ideas flowed into the Roman world, they gave rise to the practice of worshiping the emperor. Now, East Coast, West Coast, here's another difference. The Eastern half of the empire, where Hellenistic values were more deeply rooted, people worshiped the emperor in his own lifetime as a living God. In the West, emperor worship was less open and obvious. People normally worship not the emperor himself, but the genius, quote, of the emperor or the divine power that stood behind him. Interesting note here, the Senate raised some emperors, such as Augustus, to the ranks of the gods after they died. Um, and people prayed to them throughout the East and the West. So those, the traditional pagan religion and the emperor worship were two forms of religion 
that Christians would have had to deal with and the, the early Christians would have had to come up against or deal with uh, in the first century church. Let's talk about the Eastern mystery cults within the Roman Empire. These forms of religions were more recent than the traditional pagan religions. The most popular cults at the time of Jesus were those of the goddess Sibeli, which arose in Asia Minor or Turkey. The goddess Isis and the goddess Serapis, both from Egypt, and the god Mithras, who originated in Persia or Iran. I don't know much about Sibeli, but I do remember Isis. Do you remember the TV show Isis? If you do, you would have had to have been a young buck around 1975 and 1977. That's when the show actually ran. It came on doing Saturday morning cartoons, just like all the other shows. But it was cast like a superhero type of show, similar to Wonder Woman. I remember so vividly how my sister and I, when the wind would blow, we'd run outside with these towels stuffed in the back of our shirts and we would turn in circles and we would say, oh, mighty Isis. We had no idea who Isis was. Uh, We liked her outfit. We didn't know she was a goddess. We didn't know that people worshiped her. We had no idea. And so I would say to you, especially today, it's important that we teach our kids the truth so they will recognize error. So you still may say, okay, Connie, that was first century. This is 2021. Who cares? Well, in 2021, skeptics and atheists are saying that Christianity was a made-up religion and that Jesus was copied from the gods, Serapis and Mithras. Mithraism was so popular in the fourth century, especially among the Roman armies, it was for a time the chief rival to Christianity. And so in another podcast, we're going to review the so-called similarities between Mithras and Christ, because it casts a lot of doubt, uh, especially on young people on what they believe, because they're saying, hey, you know, Jesus is just on paper, another Mithras. So that's very damaging. And we want to have a defense for that. The next religion we're going to talk about briefly is philosophy. And you may say, well, Connie, philosophy is not a religion. You couldn't tell people in the first century that who prided themselves on their philosophical knowledge and abilities to reason. Philosophy was not just an academic subject taught in universities like it is today. It was a total way of life which promised peace and fulfillment to those who practice it. Let me give you an example. Do you remember a philosopher named Plato? He was a great Athenian philosopher who created a school of philosophy called Platonism. And here's a did you know. Platonism was so much a part of everyday life, that many of the early church fathers were converts from Platonism. I can't remember if I mentioned this on an earlier podcast or if it was doing Bible study, but we discussed something called the Arian controversy. 
And no, it wasn't about white supremacy. It's a different kind of Aryan. But there was an Aryan controversy that was going on in the church. And it's this Aryan controversy that a lot of biblical scholars believe triggered John to write the Gospel of John. The belief that Jesus couldn't have been divine was influenced by Platonism. So this is really important. It's like modern day scientists. They have their own wisdom and their own reasoning about how things came to be. So I think it's important, again, that in a future broadcast, we talk about Platonism and Stoicism and Epicureanism and all of these philosophies that affected the early church, because some of the beliefs are still around today. So I hope that gives you an idea of how in the first century church, you had um, political loyalty and you had all of these religions that really worked together to keep the people in the Roman Empire on the same page. Last but not least, let's talk about Roman rule, specifically in Judea. The Romans placed Herod Antipater, who lived from 37 BC until 4 BC on the throne of Jerusalem, but with Judea as a Roman province. And I have province in quotes, and I'll explain later. This Herod Antipater is the Herod that was mentioned in Matthew chapter two, who tried to kill the infant Jesus. During this time, Jews were exempt from military service, did not have to take part in pagan rituals, not even emperor worship. But this was about to change. In AD six, there was a Jewish revolt against Rome led by Judas the Galilean. And I thought to myself, I don't remember that. But sure enough, if you go to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter five, verse 37, there's like a one line there, a one liner. And it talks about Judas the Galilean. Because of these little uprisings that kept happening, the emperor we talked about was Augustus Caesar. So the emperor Augustus placed Judea. Now, instead of being a province, they're now on the direct rule of Rome or by Rome. So then a Roman governor or procurator was put in charge of Palestine. So now we got our people in the country. He was immediately responsible to the emperor. So this particular person who was the Roman governor, his supervisor, his boss was the emperor of Rome. And we talked about how huge Rome was. This procurator or governor of Palestine was none other than Marcus Pontius Pilate. Who was Marcus Pontius Pilate? He was, of course, the governor at the time of Jesus's public ministry. So he had great power. And if you remember when the Jews brought him to be judged and sentenced to death, 
Pontius Pilate was the one that made the decision. How so? Well, as governor of Palestine, he was responsible for three things. One was the military affairs and public order. That's kind of all one thing. There was a Roman army stationed in Palestine at Caesarea, or you could say Caesarea, <laughs> on the coast of Samaria, which was south of Mount Carmel. So military affairs and keeping public order was one of the things he was responsible for. The second thing he was responsible for as governor was taxation. And they really hated him for this. By the time of Jesus, Rome taxed some 30 to 40% of people's income. On top of the 30 to 40% tax on people's income, there was also a highly unpopular poll tax. Now, this was a tax based, it wasn't based on property or wealth. It was like a flat tax that everyone had to pay. This to me was absolutely crazy. So if you were poor and the poll tax was $1,500, you had to pay it. Where if you were wealthy, $1,500 may not have been that much, but it didn't matter. This poll tax was not based on property or wealth. It was a flat tax everybody had to pay. I can't imagine. The governor, Pontius Pilate, was also responsible for the administration of justice. The governor had a wide range of powers. He could sentence to death or pardon at will. And I think that might have played into who do you want released to you, Barabbas or Jesus? Because he could. He could pardon anyone at will. Or he could sentence someone to death. So that's a little bit about Marcus Pontius Pilate. Let's talk about the regular people in Judea, not the Romans who ruled, but the people within Judea. Now, you've probably heard many, many times about this, the differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So I want to focus on two other groups you may not have heard of as much, and they are the Zealots and the Essenes. The zealots were called that because it meant the zealous ones. They were a party of terrorists or freedom fighters, perhaps founded by Judas the Galilean. Um, they wanted to liberate Judea from Roman rule by the use of violence. They thought it was sinful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor, I was getting ready to say the Roman empire, but the same thing. They thought it was sinful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor because only God alone was the true king of Israel. The zealots often acted as assassins, killing those whom they regarded as national enemies. Did you know, here's another, did you know, did you know that one of Jesus's 12 disciples, Simon the Canaanite, was or had been a zealot? Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 15. That's Luke chapter 6, verse 15. And you can read about uh, Simon the zealot. And the last group of people that were in Judea during this time were called the Essenes. Is E-S-S-E-N-E-S. -S -E -S -E -S. I'll say it again. 
E-S-S-E-N-E-S. They were Jews who broke away from everyday life and lived together in small religious communities. Their community at Kurom, northwest of the Dead Sea, is the best known today because of a large number of ancient writings discovered there in 1947 and the years following. These writings were called 54321, yes, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Etsens had no private property, but shared everything in their communities. It is believed they practiced celibacy, they refused to swear oaths, they underwent frequent ritual washings, and they devoted much of their time to studying Old Testament prophets. They did, like most Jews, expect they expected God to intervene in world history through one or more Messiah-type figures. And this really threw me off. Some Essenes were also zealots. The name Essenes may come from an Aramaic word meaning healers. So think about the Jews in the first century. You have the Sadducees on one end and you have the Pharisees on the other end. You have the Zealots who are terrorists on one side and you have the Essenes who are healers on the other side. And then they're all being ruled along with the common people by the Romans. What a time, what a time, what a time. It's always my goal when I do this podcast that we all learn something new. So I hope you learn something new about the early church, about them being under Roman rule, who lived in Judea, just something interesting uh, that you didn't know before. Next week, we're going to focus specifically on the Jesus movement. So instead of the external background, we're going to go inside uh, the actual Christians and tell you what it was like for them during the first century. If you have any questions or comments, uh, I would love to get your feedback. Go to uh, the search option on Facebook and type in at White Church Hill, all one word. Or you can email me at whitechurchhill at gmail.com. That's W-H-I-T, the number three, C-H-U-R-C-H-I-L-L at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, God bless. Thank you.